well, other than Encanto, it doesn't feel like the movies coming out lately have been all that successful, like the the children's movies or the Disney or the Pixar's. Oh, yeah, especially the Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I need to look at a timeline, though, because I've really enjoyed um, Turning Red. I tried to watch that with you. I watched, like, half an hour of it, and I couldn't. I don't know. Something about it. I just couldn't stay interested. See, I have watched it at least three times, and I'm not really a rewatcher that frequently, but it's Disney Pixar. You definitely are more than I am, though. True. Welcome, everyone, by the way, to Chronicles of Curiosity. I'm Katie. I'm Mason. And I'll let you take it away from there. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, This is episode three. Uh, We're very excited this week. We got a cool episode for you. It's going to be a two-parter, just letting you know now. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to fit this into one episode, but there was just no way. Um, So you'll have to stay interested and come back for more. Yes, yes. Come back next week, hear the rest of the story. Um, But this week we're going to be talking about the infamous Conjuring House. Yes, the Conjuring Mm -hmm. House from the Conjuring franchise of the same name. So the Conjuring House is located in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It's gained worldwide attention due to its reported paranormal activity, which inspired, like I said, the popular horror movie franchise of the same name. You've seen all of the movies, right? I believe so, yeah. Have yeah. you seen The Nun? I don't think so, because every time I feel like I've built up the courage to watch it and start it, I see The Nun herself and poop my pants. <laughs> so. I, uh, I, really, I really like the franchise. I like that they made it... I like that they tied it all in together like a cinematic universe. And there's three, right? Well, there's three main Conjuring movies, and then okay. there's also the three Annabelle movies. And they tie in... Like just through the main characters, essentially? Through the main characters, through the Warrens. Okay. Um, and then there's also little threads throughout it, too. Okay. Is like that they, where, like, the nun comes in? and? Yeah, the nun first showed up in... I, I want to I wanna say it was maybe the first Annabelle movie. It might have been... Yes. Yeah, I no, think it I was. Remember that yeah, because I don't think it was I in the country. I did not movies. like her little addition to that movie. Oh, I did. Yeah, so that's tied in. The nun, The Curse of La Llorona. There's another movie coming out pretty soon too that's going to be in the same universe but oh, I, didn't I, know that. I, I really enjoy i really enjoy those movies mm-hmm. um, i yeah. did too i did um, too so yeah today we're going to be talking about the house itself so the house that inspired the franchise um it was a real story i'm sure a lot of you have heard it i'm sure a lot of you have seen the movies i actually don't think i've heard this so this is this is good this is new information to me good yeah, yeah. so this yeah so you don't know anything right like mostly um, nothing. Anything Maybe from that what I, I know you. is from the movie. And from what I told you last night. This is true. <laughs> I got I got a little sneak peek. So I tried I tried to keep it like private, but I, I just wanted to tell you like yeah. a little bit more. Like, did you hear this? I know it's exciting when you're doing the research about it because you want to talk to somebody about it. But anybody that you tell, you're just spoiling this episode for them. Exactly. Yes. So let's get started here. Um, so we'll be diving into the history of the house, uh, and then we'll also be getting into some of the reported hauntings as well. Uh, and that's pretty much all we'll get to today. But maybe let's get started. So at the let's start at the very beginning here. Uh, the first recorded occupants of the Conjuring House, again located in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It's 45 minutes northwest of Rhode Island, maybe or excuse me, um, Providence. Mm, so okay. maybe yeah, maybe an hour northwest. Um, just to give you some perspective, it's a little town, not very many people even now, and there there was even less people when the house was first built. Do we know when it was first built? Yes, it was built in, in 1736 by a man named David oh. Arnold. But 
it's believed that there were there was probably some structure or some set of structures on the property. The original property was over 200 acres. Oh. It's been it's been like parceled out since then. Okay. But the original property was was very very large. So almost definitely there was existing structures like an existing home or stone buildings that sort of thing predating 1736. But David Arnold is going to be the first person here. Again, he technically built the house, but there was probably something there. Uh, of course, when the house was built, it wasn't known as the Conjuring House. Right, of course. There was no reference point. It was just known to the locals at the time as the Old Brook Farm. Brook uh, being the owner's last name? Uh, Arnold being the owner's last name. Brook, more than likely, just referring to like a small creek. I'm so sorry. I was not paying attention at the beginning there, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, probably a creek in uh, just flowing through the property. Uh, it's probably not part of the property anymore. It's probably somebody else's with it being split up so many times. But David Arnold, uh, while there wasn't much recorded information on him, I mean, it was 300 years ago, um, He, we do know that he was a wealthy, fairly wealthy businessman that likely lived, that was already living in Rhode Island prior to the purchase of the land. So it's believed that the land itself was haunted long before David arrived. Um, oh. And many consider it cursed, um, especially the local native groups in the area. Okay, yep. And I remember reading about this elsewhere, too. There was uh, there were a few battles that took place. I, I want to say it was probably the Revolutionary War. Oh, yeah. Um, and there were a lot of, there were a couple battles that took place on this property specifically within the 200 acres. Oh, jeez. And there were a lot of dead soldiers as well, which will come up next week in the next episode. I didn't know that. So keep that in the back of your mind here. Local natives uh, consider it to be cursed. Historians think that it may be tied to an even older religious belief system of sorts practiced by the natives. Mm. Centuries before David Arnold purchased the land and built his home on the, on the property. Rumors might have been passed down from generation to generation, especially considering the oral storytelling traditions of the local tribes, mm-hmm. yeah. especially you know to the New England region in general. That's where we get a lot of the history from the local natives in that in that area. Uh, so, despite knowing, likely knowing about the rumors and legend of his property, David Arnold never reported any evidence of paranormal activity on the farm. So, right away, we're starting off pretty boring. Yeah, starting no, off weak. No paranormal activity that we know of. He didn't keep a journal, so it's really okay. hard to know. You know, if he experienced weird things, mm, okay, it it would be hard to know after all this time. Yeah. So a few years ago. after the death of David Arnold, uh, the estate would be then passed on from generation to generation, all while staying in the family. So it was owned by the Arnold family for okay. a large, large number of years. Um, but before we get to the juicy part of the story, <laughs> the real part of the story, I wanted to take a quick detour to 1812. So okay, we're starting right. off in 1736, and now we're up to 1812. Got it. Okay. So at this point... French Revolution. Yes. So at this point, the Arnold Farm had been passed down um, for a few generations, likely two generations, one generation, somewhere in there. And meanwhile, uh, at this time in 1812, nearby, a woman named Bathsheba Sherman was born. Okay. All right. Okay. Some of you might immediately recognize the name Bathsheba. Bathsheba was said to be extremely beautiful, and at age 32 would go on to marry a very wealthy man who owned a 200-acre farm adjacent to the Arnold's property. Alrighty. So Bathsheba would babysit local children. Um, she would often watch them while the parents worked in the fields or worked in town, you know, whatever they might have to do during the day. One day, when Bathsheba was watching a neighbor's son, it's 
unknown whether this neighbor's neighbor was the Arnold family or if it was another neighbor. Okay. But while she was watching the neighbor's son, the boy mysteriously died. So just off and just died. So the local oh, doctor was called. Okay. But by that point, it was too late. They couldn't save him. He was already gone. Okay. He likely was like two, three, four, somewhere in that range, oh if gosh. not younger. Very small, like a small child. Okay. And there's no, we don't know what, we don't know what happened. No, well, we do. So the details on the incident are a little funny, but local reports say the boy's cause of death was, quote, having been impaled in the skull with a small, sharp object. And then I, I, I put in parentheses oh. here, it's probably a knitting needle. Oh small, sharp gosh. object is either a knitting needle or a nail, like the old really thick iron nails that they used to use to bind planks together. Yeah. And the reason I say it was probably a knitting needle is because it fits the description. Okay. And it's likely that, that almost every house would have had at least one knitting needle. Right. And it's right. likely that Bathsheba probably took a knitting needle with her. I was on to have something to do. Like choked on something or no no so there's no Damn. there's no question on what happened to the boy it was a needle to the head or a sharp okay. object right. to the head okay okay so when news of the boy's death spread locals began calling for Bathsheba to be convicted of murder in right. their eyes Bathsheba was the last person to have been seen with the boy she was under his care he was under her care. he was under <laughs> he there was we under go. her care yeah um, so therefore she was guilty by default right she was the only one there it's not likely that he tripped and like landed into an upside down knitting needle yeah it's pretty unlikely it, maybe could happen tom and jerry but hope it, not well he would have had to fallen backwards because it was in the back of his head oof so that Shady. yeah there's really there's really no other explanation here but for yeah. whatever reason there was never a court case for the death of the boy they just kind of forget about it well it's possible that local authorities assumed it was nothing more than a tragic accident mm. as mm. Bathsheba would have had no motive to kill the child okay so understandably, okay. this made the locals very, very upset. Yeah, bro, I'm pissed right now. <laughs> there was there's a child dead that was part of the community. Um, the only person that was associated with the boy was not put on trial, not even questioned. Mm. So obviously, they wouldn't be happy with that. And this is when a rumor would be born that Sheba would have a son of her own. Oh, jeez. According to the legend, the mother stabbed him to death when he was just a week old. So we're referring to Bathsheba as the mother? Yes. When he, can you say that sentence again, please? So according to the legend, the mother, Bathsheba, stabbed her son to death when he was just a week old. Her newborn son. What the fuck? Her husband allegedly walked in on the murder as it was happening. Uh, <sighs> and this is where he would witness Bathsheba allegedly vowing her soul in allegiance to Satan. Oh, wow. That's an audacious claim. Bathsheba then walked to the end of her property, climbed a tree, threw a rope over, and hung herself. To death. <laughs> to, yes. Just to confirming. Death. To death. <laughs> okay. She hung oh. herself to death. Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure I got all the facts here because there's a lot going on in one moment. But before she would die, apparently, she cursed the land and anyone who would live in that area. All right. It's a good story, right? It's a story, yes. It's I'm in shock. Likely completely fictional. Oh. So thinking about it logically, it's not really a far stretch to assume that the locals fabricated the story mm-hmm. of devil worship and child sacrifices as a way to explain the mysterious death of the neighbor's boy a few years earlier. Okay. It's also likely that the rumor began before 1849, the alleged year when Bathsheba killed her own son. 
Right. And then culminated with Bathsheba's son dying of natural causes shortly before birth. Or excuse me, shortly after birth. So she didn't stab him to death. Right. Wow. So while accusing someone of devil worship was dropped, had dropped in popularity significantly oh from its height in the 1600s, think the same language. I know, I, and, just and the way that was worded there, totally well, there, blew my mind. It was a fad in, yeah. in a way. Oh yeah, oh to, yeah. To blame someone oh, yeah. of witchcraft, um, it was a guaranteed way to get rid of them, and that would kind of take care of your problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not unreasonable to assume that Rhode Island locals would have been very knowledgeable about other witch trials that had taken place in New England at this point. We're 150 years out, 200 years out from the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were others as well. Um, there were other witch trials in New Hampshire. There were other witch trials in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's right. They were, they were all over the place. And some of them were later than the Salem witch trials. Yeah. And didn't we listen to a series on that? I think I did. I, I feel like we listened to it together. It was, I think, um, an Aaron Mankey. What's the one? What's lore. His? Lore. Yeah. yeah. Aaron Mankey's Lore podcast. We used to listen to it together. Actually, you got me into that couple years into our relationship yeah and i think we listened to his um he did a like a three four part series on the witch trials that happened not in salem in like surrounding um states right which i had no clue about until we learned that yeah because the salem ones are so popular yeah they're they're, they kind of they kind of take Mm -hmm. the spotlight away from all the other witch trials which is a gross way to put it but you know what we're trying to say so (laughs) so to further solidify the fact that Bathsheba's story was likely fabricated her tombstone is actually located in Harrisville Cemetery, just outside of Harrisville. Mm-hmm. And her date of birth is March 25th, 1885, not 1849, when she supposedly hung herself. So mm-hmm. you can go and visit her grave today if you're in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Hmm. Um, it's still there. I looked up a picture of it, and you can very clearly read the date of death. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, again, okay. Bathsheba, likely not a devil worshiper. We don't know. But we don't know. But... We don't know. There was rumors, and there were, you know, obviously it was a fact of what happened, and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. With everything else. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. So with that out of the way, we can now jump forward 100 years to the 1950s. So this is when the estate would finally leave the ownership of the Arnold family over 200 years after David Arnold took over the property. Okay. The farm would be sold to the... Normandin family, I think is how you say it, uh, who would own the property until the 1970s. So the Normandin family reported no paranormal or unexplained events in their time at the house. Okay. And they were there for about 20 years? They were there for about 20 years. Yeah. yeah. yeah a little bit less some, than 20 years. Like one or two things maybe would happen in there. The family generally kept to themselves. And there's very little information on them beyond this, that they purchased that they the house. That they this house. Okay. And that's about it. In 1970, Roger and Carolyn Perrin, along with their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cynthia, and April, would purchase and move into the home. The parents would purchase the house. I don't think the kids helped with the purchase of the house. You know what? We don't know. This is where the story of the Conjuring House truly begins. Roger and Carolyn had been looking to move after outgrowing their small suburban home. When they found the Normandin family's listing, it almost seemed too good to be true. Uh, there was plenty of land for the children to play and grow. Uh, but more importantly, the 10-bedroom house offered a lot more room for the large family. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Plus, but, it was a cute little farmhouse, so... But hmm. their excitement of the move would very, very quickly wear off. Almost immediately, they began norm- noticing small anomalies is how one 
member of the family describes them. Okay. Um, doors would slam shut with no breeze. Items would Don't go like missing. That. And the strangest, in these early days, um, small piles of dirt would appear on the floor after it was freshly swept. Okay, that's just disrespectful. Carolyn would sweep the kitchen, go out to the other room, come back in, and immediately there'd be a small pile of dirt. Like I would be so her. annoyed. Oh, yeah. I would be so annoyed. Yeah. So right away, again, right away, they knew something was not right. But they had spent their life savings on the house. They had five children. They were determined to stay and make it work. I was just going to say, got to make it work. Got to make it work. So at this point, the hauntings were pretty benevolent. The spirits, however, would quickly develop a much darker tone. Okay. This is where I want to introduce the main source of the story. Um, the, we used the book House of Darkness, House of Light. It's technically two books separated by volumes. Uh, the book was written by the eldest Perrin daughter, Andrea Perrin. Mm, she, oh. she was in her late teens um, when the majority of the paranormal activity was occurring. Okay. So but... being being the oldest in the family, she took the role of caregiver to the younger siblings. Mm. Again, very common with a large family. But this put her in a unique position of directly experiencing the hauntings while also being old enough and mature enough to remember the events in detail. That's exactly what I was thinking. And without fabrication. Right. In 2007, Andrea began working on the first draft of what would later become the memoir that you can read today on The Conjuring Hauntings. Okay. What did you say that was called again? It's called House of Darkness, House of Light. Okay. All right. And again, it's technically two books. If you buy it online, it'll probably be separated into two books. If you buy it in store, it'll probably be one book. Did you happen to see it at our local library? I did not. Okay. I'm going to check that one out. Yes. Yeah. I would recommend. After moving in, things very quickly began to unravel for the family. So beyond the previous mention of the paranormal activity, the family began experiencing an oppressive and dark atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Andrea doesn't okay. go into detail about what this is, uh, but this is what she had to say about the vibe in the house in the mm-hmm. early days. She said, we were, quote, we were unaware that we were not alone in our new home, but our ignorance was would not last for long. Ooh. With the passing of time, each of us would discover that we were not the only witnesses to the events which would unfold within our walls, nor would we be the only participants in the trauma that was soon to begin. It was the unwitting collaboration of many unforeseen forces which created the atmosphere of the house, and that atmosphere would prove to be both magical and lethal. Is that the end of the quote? End quote. That's a long <laughs> quote, but it was, was a it poetic. Quote. It, it was, was such a, a good quote. quote. I had to, had to include it. Yeah. So at this point, things began escalating very quickly. The family had been in the house for a couple months, experiencing these small hauntings, small activity. This is where shit would really hit the fan. So the, the family discovered a secret room hidden behind a small locked door in the basement. In the basement. Have you seen like Barbarian? Oh, yes. <laughs> I had to think for a second and then... I remembered. If you find a small room in your basement, just leave it. Just don't worry about it. Until you sell the house. Just put some plywood over it. Don't even worry about it. Plaster it, paint it, move on with your life. You don't need to know what's in there. That's none of your business. The family had previously assumed the room was a little extra unused storage space, something Mm -hmm. that they didn't really... Which is a safe assumption. Oh, absolutely. What else would it have been? We're about to find out, I think. So they they figured they didn't really need the room because they had such a large house, so much larger than their previous house. They Mm -hmm. had plenty of room. The basement was already large enough. 
Okay. And it was like an unfinished, it's pretty, pretty, pretty rough looking basement, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll p- post pictures of mm. the house. We'll post like a couple recent photos of the house and I'll get into that more later as well. Yeah. And it was like dirt floor and dirt stone floor, walls. Stone walls. Yeah. Un- okay. Completely unfinished. Very creepy. It's, it's a house that was built in the 17. Yeah. Yeah. The only 17th. thing finished about it is that there are like semi-separated rooms. Right. Right. So the door was locked, and when they were finally able to jam it open, they made a terrifying discovery. The room was not empty. It was full of old toys, clothes, and books. Horrifying. Don't like that. Not really. But they also noticed that the floor was all dirt with a deep depression in the middle. Okay. Which they found odd. So as they were exploring the room, picking up some of the old toys and and random objects that were strewn about, they noticed what appeared to be a human bone on the ground. Oh, geez. So when they looked a little bit closer, they discovered more bones scattered throughout the room, including a human skull. Oh, my gosh. The family was understandably very disturbed by the discovery. They immediately called the local police to report what they had found. Mm. Uh, The police investigation that followed turned up many more bones and artifacts that were hidden in the room. Hella bones. As well as evidence that someone had been living in the space at some point in the past. But unclear when? Unclear when and unclear who. To this day, no no definitive answers were ever found regarding the identity of the person whose bones were discovered Mm. or the circumstances surrounding their death. And it was just like, it was one full human body. It wasn't like multiple bodies. Right. One full full human body. Okay. So these were the bones of someone that used to live in that room. All 206 of them? I think it's 306. Whatever it is. They found a lot of bones. So forget the rest of the hauntings. This would probably be enough to make me leave mm-hmm, a new mm-hmm. house if you found a dead body right. in the basement. That would probably be it. But they stuck it out. So they, they decided they were going to make it work. They decided to stay. The hauntings would continue, and I'm going to kind of just roll on from here. Okay. So one night, while the family was gathered in the living room, they heard footsteps coming from the hallway. When and they, everybody, I, the whole family was in the living room. Every, all, every family member was accounted for. Right, exactly. Okay. All right. Yes. So when they got up to investigate, they found that all of the doors in the hallway were closed and locked, but they could hear someone or something moving around behind them. I don't like that. Later, Andrea had a terrifying encounter with an unseen presence in her bedroom. She said she felt something grab her ankle and drag her toward the foot of the bed. Oh my god! Physically pulling her out of the bed. When she jerked away and turned the lights on, there was nothing. Okay. A few days later, while the family was sleeping, they were awakened by a loud banging noise. Again, when they went to investigate, they found all of the windows in the house were shaking and rattling violently. The family's dog, Sadie, was cowering in fear in a corner with her tail behind her legs. The family members themselves were also absolutely terrified. Yeah, but Sadie. They could do nothing but huddle together and wait out the shaking. I I hope they got the dog. I hope they... They, I'm going to, to make myself feel better, yes, they did. They did, yes. So it, Allegedly. <laughs> at this point, the family knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were dealing with something paranormal. Mm. Not a single one of them had any doubt otherwise. The family wasn't particularly religious or spiritual, but they decided to take matters into their own hands. They somehow got a hold of an Ouija board, as well as a makeshift planchet and pendulum. Makeshift? Makeshift. They made it themselves. Oh, I don't trust that at all. The pendulum was a uh, chain that... One of the girls had. Okay. They didn't say what the planchette was, but that's okay. Oh. So they began to ask the spirits questions. The responses would end up leading to even more fear and confusion. 
So during one session with the Ouija board, the family asked the spirits what they wanted. The board spelled out the word consent. What the hell? When the family asked for more clarification, the board spelled out our permission to be here. Oh, okay. In another Ouija board session, the family asked who was haunting their home. The board spelled out M-A-N-N-E, Manny. Oh, like they're saying that's their name. Apparently. Okay. More on that in a minute. (laughs) Okay. When they asked for more information, the board spelled out the word help. Later, the family discovered that a man named Arnold Manny once lived in their home. Nuh-uh. When the family used the pendulum, they would ask yes or no questions and interpret the direction of the pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time, they asked if spirits were there to harm them, and the pendulum swung in a circle, indicating no. However, when they asked if the spirits were there to help, the pendulum swung back and forth, indicating uncertainty. Mm. Feeling like they'd made no progress toward dealing with the issue, they re- attempted to return to a normal life. They put the, the Ouija board away, and they were ready to give it another go. Okay. Ignore the spirits. Oh, They're living okay. life. Okay. Well, at least Mr. Manny introduced himself. You know, I'll give him that. And I'm glad that they were able to find some, like, info on that and not just be like, what the fresh hell is this? What's Manny? Who's Manny? Yeah, yeah. We don't really know anything about him, do we? Let's get into that. Ah. So at the same time, the family begins, began to confront the darker aspects of the spirit in their home, spirits in their home. Through research, they discovered that some of the spirits may have been involved in violent or tragic events in the home. Mm, Okay get into them two infant deaths two infants were said to have died in the house under quote mysterious circumstances okay the first infant was named prudence arnold who died in the 18th century okay from the original arnold family um likely one of the descendants okay yeah this would have been about 100 years later familia right the second uh infant to die was in the 20th century so much later it's not clear what caused either of these deaths Additionally, a person named Mrs. John Arnold is said to have committed suicide in the barn on the property in the, in the 1700s. Oh my goodness. Mrs. Arnold was 93 years old when she oh. died. It's unclear why she committed suicide, but this is what Andrea Perrin had to say. Only one thing is known for certain. Far more than a century ago, Mrs. John Arnold decided to claim her life at the age of 93 and was discovered cold and gray, as stiff as the wood from which she was found dangling in the rafters of a barn. Jeez. Coincidentally, Carolyn, the mother... Carolyn Perrin. Carolyn Perrin. Got it. ...was working in the barn when a hand scythe fell off a beam, spun midair, suspended. The scythe then dropped, (laughs) striking Carolyn in the neck and the shoulder. Oh my gosh. Thankfully at the time she was wearing a thick coat, which took most of the force. Yeah. Like the blade is what hit her? Yes. The scythe was also dulled because it was so old. It was... You know, it was a relic, it was an antique. Yeah, but that can still do some freaking damage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Andrea later wrote about this incident. Uh, years later, Carolyn, her mother, would learn of Mrs. John Arnold, the woman who died by her own hand, found hanging in the barn on precisely the same beam from which the scythe had fallen. Oh, that's some shady shit. Again, it's unclear why she committed suicide, but some suggest that the paranormal activity in the home may have become too much for her, leading right. her to take her own life. Okay. Completely overwhelmed after months of torment, the Perrin family decided to take a vacation to Maine. So while they enjoyed their free time from paranormal activity, they all reported feeling an overwhelming sense of dread when even thinking about returning home. Oh, that's so sad. Despite their fear and uncertainty, the family tried to maintain a sense of normalcy 
in their mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. As best you can, yeah. And then again, this is the early 70s. They had been in the house for a little while, a few months, a year maybe. So they, they would do all the normal things. They would go to school. They would attend church every now and then. Um, they, they tried to keep up with all their regular routines, all while living in a house that felt increasingly haunted and inhospitable. Mm. At this point, things like experiencing a smell of dead meat Seeing full-body apparitions throughout the house and objects moving on their own became an almost daily occurrence. Oh, dear God. They were becoming so accustomed to these events that they wouldn't even dope them anymore. That's crazy. But the weirdest thing that they would begin to experience around this time was what they would call time anomalies. Time anomalies. The okay. family reported sensing time in an altered way. So a few minutes would pass and it would feel like they had lived their entire day. Mm -hmm. Or on the flip side, hours would pass while only feeling like a couple minutes. That's so weird. There was a report of Roger Perrin going out to chop some wood or something. And from him, felt like being gone for about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But everybody, the family was very worried about him because they couldn't find him. And he was gone for hours. Oh, that's weird. Oh, oh, that's so weird. Was there any, and it was just like certain buildings it would feel like that? It was it was on the whole property. These wow. are things. Yeah. So the the paranormal events they would experience in different places. The property is pretty big. There's like you know there's multiple sheds. Mm. It's a big barn. There's the huge farmhouse itself. Mm -hmm. uh, there's I'm guessing more buildings as well that I'm unaware of. Okay. Um, especially at this time before the land was even further split out. Uh, the strangest time anomaly happened one day when the girls were at the dining room table. So Cindy the second youngest daughter, said she experienced herself sitting in the dining room with her siblings when she suddenly felt a sense of disorientation and confusion. And this is where it gets really weird. She describes feeling as though she was, quote, lost in time. Oh. And she saw the room around her where she was sitting with her sisters begin to shift and change. So when Cindy looked around the room, she saw that the furniture and the decorations had all changed. And the room looked much, much older than it did before. Oh, that's so wild. She saw a woman sitting at the head of the table dressed in 19th century clothing and several other people in similar clothing seated around the table. Cindy said that she felt as though she was part of the scene and she even could smell the food that was being served on the table. That's crazy. Cindy also said that she felt everyone at the table stop, look up, Look her dead in the eyes with an expression that said, you shouldn't be here. No shit. <laughs> so after a few moments, Cindy, Cindy suddenly snapped back to reality and the room around her returned to its normal appearance. Okay. Remember when I mentioned the Ouija board spelling out Manny? Yes. This is what they would end up naming a dark entity that seemed to take a, quote, particular interest in Andrea and her sisters. Don't like that. So, quote, Manny um, would watch the girls in what they thought were private moments. <gasps> Believing the entity was a demon, Andrea described him as being manipulative, manipulative and deceitful. Mm. And she believed that he, quote, got enjoyment out of causing fear and chaos in the household. I don't like that. So the girls would combat this particular spirit, Manny, by creating what they called a circle of light. Basically, they would hold hands in a circle and they would use their combined energy and willpower to mm -hmm. repel Manny. Okay, I respect it. So it seemed to work for a little while. It yeah. actually did work. He Somebody should tell them about salt, but yes. <laughs> he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't bothering them. Okay. But before long, he came back. 
Okay. And was too strong. Okay. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. These poor little girls. So at this point, the family was completely defeated and willing to try almost anything. They turned to religious leaders after Carolyn contacted a local priest to have him perform an exorcism on the house. Mm-hmm. The priest was initially reluctant to become involved in the situation and also seemed skeptical of the parents' family's claims of paranormal activity. But when he finally did visit the house, he reportedly performed a cursory blessing but did not seem to take the situation very seriously. Oh, come on. He was kind of laughing at it, even though they were dead serious and terrified. I'm sorry. I'm rolling my eyes very aggressively. That's why I'm not saying anything. I'm just annoyed. They also sought the help of several other religious figures throughout the course of the hauntings, um, including a group of nuns and a psychic medium who claimed to be able to communicate with the spirits. However, none of these attempts were successful in completely driving out the malevolent spirits that were tormenting the family. Okay. The family didn't believe their situation could get any worse, but little did they know how bad it would end up getting. Meanwhile, while this is all going down, the time shifts, the many encounters. Yeah, I'm still processing the time shift back in my brain here. 125 miles away in a little town of Monroe, Connecticut, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren would pick up a local newspaper and read a somewhat satirical article about a family experiencing paranormal activity near a small Rhode Island town called Harrisville. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is where we'll pick back up for episode number two no. of The Conjuring House. I know. I, what a freaking cliffhanger. I know. Nobody likes the cliffhanger. Uh, but if you do want to find out the rest of the story, you can always watch the poorly adapted movie. I, I definitely don't recommend it, though. I really like the movie. But after reading the story, they didn't do this poor family justice. Right. Which, and I guess the point of the movie was never to be, like, accurate, per se. But I think they more just, like, started with the base of the movie, and then made it their own to make it more like Hollywood, what's the palatable. Yeah, they definitely took their creative liberties. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think the movie would have been scarier if they had focused on some of the stories that the family actually experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that Andrea Perrin wrote about in her memoir. But we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, at this point, okay. at this point... We're about 20 minutes into the movie when the when the Perrin family is moving into the home. That's it? That's it. Oh. Yeah. So, again, if you want to find out the rest of the story, tune back in next week. We'll be wrapping it up. But in the meantime, we really appreciate you all listening. I was just going to say before we, we be wrapping it up, we'll be getting into the juicy stuff, the good, the good spooky stuff, and then wrapping it up. Yes. Yes. There's a lot more hauntings, good okay. hauntings, okay. where that okay. came from. We appreciate all of you listening. We hope you listen next week for the conclusion of this story. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Give us a five-star rating as well. Yes. Follow us. Click the little bell for notifications if you want to be notified when we upload. At this point, we've been uploading about every Sunday. So that way you can listen to it on your Monday morning commute if you would like to. Um, And follow us on Instagram as well. We're at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast. Um, give us a follow. We've been trying to post uh, reference photos from each episode. Um, there's the ones from last week's episode, Mary Vincent. Um, and then we'll try and post some from part one here of The Conjuring House. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to post a photo of the basement. Yeah, we should because we talked about it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was going to talk about this last week, but real quick, the house is at was actually listed on Zillow. 
back mm-hmm. in 2019. It's been since been purchased. I believe it was a couple years ago it's been purchased. But if you just Google Zillow Conjuring House, mm-hmm. you can take a 3D tour of the house and kind of put re- the real location to the story. And I highly recommend it. It's an awesome house to look through. Mm-hmm. But we'll be talking about that more next week. Yeah. I did just want to say real quick, thank you to everyone for all of your support. Um, We are receiving a lot of really good feedback about the podcast so far. We've been having a lot of fun doing it between the research and the, like, working together, talking about it. It's just been a good, it's been a fun couple of weeks doing this so far. So uh, we appreciate your continued support. Um, Please suggest us to people that you think might be interested. Yeah. Thank you very much. We love you all. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye.